The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. The scripture passage this morning is in Exodus chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 1 and go to verse 21. Um, I encourage you all to follow along. Um, In the pew Bibles that are under um, some of the chairs, it's going to be found on page 39. And it's also going to be up here on the screen. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You... Stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Eden dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his, char- and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is God's word. Let's pray. We'll get rolling. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for these people that gather here this morning. I thank you that we gather not as, uh, no matter how alone some of us may feel in this room, we don't gather 
as just individuals together at some meeting who are sitting in a chair, but we gather as a family to worship our Father, to celebrate his great deeds that he has done for us. So Father, I pray that you would pitch your tent here in this place, that your presence would meet us right where we are, that you would meet each person right where they are, that they would feel that you love them and you care for them no matter what they have done, no matter how far they have run, no matter how hard they have run the other direction, that you care for them and you love them and you sacrificed a great deal for them. And God, that by that sacrifice that you have adopted us into your family, you've made us sons and daughters and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, if any person's here who is not a son or daughter yet, not a brother or sister yet, Maybe they're wondering about this whole thing. I pray that you would even speak to them that today in a miracle that they walk in, not a child, that they would leave a fully adopted son or daughter of the Most High God. Help us to exalt in your word this morning. In your name we pray, amen. There's just something about a song, right? Uh, it cements a moment in time. For most of us, we could pick out various songs from our past and put it together in a playlist and have like a soundtrack for our lives, right? Uh, there are some songs I know um, that are not good music. I've never been a music guy, right? I mean, I, I have no ability and I know I have bad taste in music. I grew up in, a, I grew up in church and I grew up in a youth group uh, where all the dudes, and this is no exaggeration, all the dudes in the youth group either surfed or played, played the guitar or did both. And I did neither of those things. I've always been the least cool dude in the room. I, I know that and I own that. They would tell me what good music was and I would try to listen to their music that was good music. And I would find myself liking what I knew they would consider bad music. And so if you were to check out my iPhone, which do not do this, but if you were to check out my iPhone, there would be some stuff on there I wouldn't mind you seeing, but there'd be a few songs I may have listened to in the past week or two. I'd be a little bit embarrassed that you guys saw. But part of it was is because it brings back memories of a particular time. You know when that song comes on, uh, maybe you're just uh, fiddling around on your, on your iPhone or something or, or whatever, and it just, that song comes on and you remember like the sights and sounds and smells and the feelings of that time. Like uh, most of us in here are at least a couple of years removed from high school, or maybe a song comes on and like it was your song in a particular season of high school or middle school and like all the feelings rush back, like good or bad, like right? They just all, all come in and you feel like you're back in that moment. There's just something about a song that takes us back. It cements a particular point in life. It's like going back in time. Singing just seems natural during certain events. They're singing at weddings and funerals, holidays, birthdays. Uh, we sing when we fall in love, and we sing when we break up. Very different songs, but we sing when we fall in love, and we sing when we break up. We sing about silly things, and we sing about serious things. We sing to celebrate, and we sing to mourn. Think about the two best-selling songs of all time. Now, I didn't really realize this until recently, but there is some sort of like 
controversy in the world about actually what the best-selling song of all time is. It is either White Christmas by Bing Crosby or Candle in the Wind 1997, which there's two versions. You have to say Candle in the Wind 1997 by Elton John. Uh, White Christmas was sung by Bing Crosby. It was released in 1942. People were scattered. Think about the time. People were scattered all around the globe, Americans and Europeans all over the globe, far away from home in the middle of terrible circumstances. And then the warm, dulcet tones of Bing Crosby rolls across the radio singing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas like the ones I used to know. It captured that moment perfectly. It has sold 50 million singles in its history. 50 million singles in its history. It captured that moment, that sense of longing and loss and wistfulness of the past in just the right moment. Candle in the Wind 1997 was released by Elton John. Uh, he readapted a song that was released back in the 70s, I think 76, something like that. I don't remember. I'm not a big Elton John guy. That's not one of my guilty pleasures. Not against him, but this is not one of my guilty pleasures. But it was released in September of 1997 as a tribute to Princess Diana after her death. And it captured, he, he changed some of the lyrics and it captured the sentiment of that moment as millions of particularly Brits and Americans were mourning the passing of the beloved Princess Diana. It captured that moment. We're singers. It's what we do, whether we're good at it or bad at it, right? I mean, I don't know what happens to us when we get in a car, when we're by ourselves, that we think that nobody else can see us. But I love driving down the highway and seeing people just rocking out alone to their favorite music and just going at it, singing, you can tell they're singing at the top of their lungs in the car with the windows up, enjoying their music. We all sing, it's whether we're good at it or we're bad at it, it's just what we do. Therefore, it's only natural that the first thing that the Israelites do after they've been delivered from Egypt, they walk through the Red Sea on dry land, which, by the way, just to rewind, to catch us up with what's going on here that Justin covered last week, the people of Israel have been slaves for 430 years in the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth at this time. God comes through with his servant Moses, and he frees his people miraculously through 10 plagues that get worse and worse until the very last one is just a tragic plague. Egypt finally says, all right, get out of here, particularly Pharaoh. He says, get out of here, and they leave Egypt. Now, God decides that he's gonna lead them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We don't even know what that looked like, but he's gonna lead them by, by his own presence through to show them where to go. And he leads them, as they leave Egypt, there's two ways they could have gone. There was through the region of the Philistines, or Philistia, as she did such a great job pronouncing that. I can never get it right, but Allison did such a great job pronouncing that word, uh, Philistia. They could have gone through there as the shortest way, but God's presence takes them a different way. And like God, like, it's sort of like a dude that loses his sense of direction and doesn't want to ask for his direction. He ends up leading them to the Red Sea. And they're, they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, in this meantime, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, decides, you know what, these I regret letting them go. 
And I'm looking out, seeing where, they're, where he's watching them, and he sees they go the wrong way. And he's like, look, these former slaves, they don't even deserve to be free. I'm going to go out and conquer them and bring them back. And so he comes out with his army, his forces, after the people of Israel. So now the people of Israel are stuck between a rock and a hard place. God has led them to them, very ignorantly, they say, it seems, to the brink of the Red Sea. They're hanging out there, and now they look back behind them, back to Egypt, and they see the cloud of dust kicking up in the, in the distance as Pharaoh and his army are barreling in on them as fast as they can come. And that's where Justin mentioned last week, they say, were there no graves back in Egypt that you could have just left us there? And Moses is like, God, what the heck is going on here? Like you moved in this amazing way to get us out of Egypt and now we're here at the brink of the Red Sea and we are stuck. And God says, why are you worried? Here's what I want you to do. Go and raise your, by the Red Sea and raise your staff and I'm gonna take care of it. Now, maybe Moses, Moses was a great man of faith. But I would imagine at some point in this whole deal, he's thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever done. And what is gonna happen if nothing happens? If I go stand by the edge of this, this sea, raise my staff out, and I just stand there for a bit, and then I'm gonna get embarrassed, and if the people don't kill me, the Egyptians certainly will. But he goes and he raises his staff over the Red Sea, and miraculously, it says an east wind blew, and the Red Sea parted. And it only did its part, and I don't know how it happened, but the Red Sea parted, and it said not only that, but they walked through on dry ground, which is another miracle in itself. However it happened, that they weren't slopping through a bunch of mud that had been at the bottom of the Red Sea forever. But the Egyptians are still coming. Like the, the Red Sea parting is awesome, that is great. That's a miracle. Like they had to just be standing in wonder as they're walking through, looking at the walls of water on either side. But the other problem isn't answered yet. The mightiest army, or as part of the mightiest army on the face of the earth that the earth had ever seen to this point is still barreling in on them. And here's what happened. God lets them pursue them right into the Red Sea where the people are walking through. And when the people get to the other side, then God causes the waters to come back in and Pharaoh and his army are washed away in the sea. And so the Israelites get on the other side and they rock out because they were in a place where they could, have not, they could have not saved themselves out of Egypt. They were only slaves. They had no political or economic power. God has led them out of Egypt. They have looted Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. He's part of the sea. They walk through. They get on the other side. And God defeats their foe. He defeats their enemy by himself without them lifting a finger except Moses lifting the staff. That's all that happens. And that's why they get to the other side and they sing. They sing because they are so excited. What else could they do but sing? God's people have always been a 
a singing people. We're going to see three things from this passage this morning. Because the question is, what about us? Are we a singing people? And what do we have to sing about? Here's the three questions. Why are we to sing? What are we to sing? And how are we to sing? Why are we to sing? What are we to sing? And how are we to sing? First of all, just in general, not just in this passage, but we sing in response. Think about that stuff I was talking about at the beginning. Like we sing at weddings and funerals. We sing when we fall in love and we sing when we break up. We sing at birthday parties. We always sing in a response to something. Something good happens and we sing happy songs. We whistle tunes as we're going through our day. Something bad happens and we're listening to those sad songs you keep on your special playlist for your sad, kind of gray, gloomy days. We sing in response. In both times of victory and tragedy, we sing. It's the natural release of our emotions. It's how we express ourselves to ourselves or to people around us. We sing in response. But not only do we sing in response to general issues in life, but we sing in response to God. As we as believers, we sing in a response to what God has already done. The Israelites have been led through. They could not have saved themselves. And when they see God save them by his mighty hand and he destroys the Egyptian army that was coming after them, their only thing they can do is to respond in song. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, then Moses and the people of Israel together, we'll come to that later, sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, why? For, that's a very important word in this, for, because, here is why I'm singing, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea, The Lord is my strength and my song, and listen, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. I will sing for he has triumphed, and he has become my salvation, therefore I will sing. We sing in response to God. So my question is, is there a song in your heart? Whether it's when we gather here together in a group or whenever you're by, you're by yourself, is there a song in your heart in response to what God has done for you? Look at Exodus 15, 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. They're singing because he has loved them. He has led them. He has redeemed them and he has guided them. And when they see that, they cannot help but to respond in singing. God has provided, it's built into us as human beings across all cultures, across all continents, people are singers. We write songs and we sing songs. And it's built into us because it's a means by which we connect or worship God. I don't know if God is a singing God. There's one verse in the Old Testament where it says he sings over his people but I do know that he has built singing into us, his people. 
we respond to it and we respond with it when we see something awesome. I'm a Clemson fan, as a lot of you know. And after every touchdown, every score, we get to sing a beautiful song. And the heart of it is C-L-E-M-S-O-N. Some people go and fight tigers, fight tigers, fight, fight, fight. This little deal, and there's a whole controversy about whether they say woo woo, and there's this whole kind of part where, and some people say we should do that, some people shouldn't. But we, you cannot help but to respond if you're a Clemson fan after a touchdown with that song. We can't help but to respond to God when we see how awesome and amazing He is. When we see what He has done on our behalf, it is a means by which we connect with or worship God. But we don't just sing in response. We sing to set the mood. Uh, if you're watching a movie, there's a soundtrack that goes along with it. Have you ever watched a movie without a soundtrack? Like, it's okay, but it's not nearly as compelling. But the soundtrack tells you, hey, this is the part where you're supposed to be scared. This is the part where you're supposed to be excited. Something is coming up. Or something really cool is happening and the music starts soaring and you feel yourself soaring with it. Like, yeah, this is awesome. It just kind of takes you along in the soundtrack. Or uh, it sets the stage for what's going on in the movie. It stirs us, it awakens us. Think about uh, Christmas time. We sing to set the stage, right? Or we play music that sets the right tone for the holiday. Or, gentlemen, if we want to have a special evening with our wife, and we know, hey, this song, this singer, this album is the deal, we, we put it on and it sets the mood to come for the evening. Music isn't just a response. Music sets the mood. It puts us in, in the, the right feel for the moment. So just the same way, we as Christians, we sing to stir our affections. Because music speaks to us in ways that simply words alone can't. We're to sing to stir our hearts and our minds together in unison. That's why we, at the beginning of the service, we, we start out with songs that are songs of adoration, songs that lift up the nature and character of God. Because I don't know about you, but I'm forgetful. And during the week, there's a lots of things that vie for my attention. And no matter, even on my best weeks, I forget how awesome and amazing God is. And so when I gather with you guys, my family, I need you to sing to me and I need to sing to you and I need us to sing together of the nature and character of God to remind me about just how amazing and awesome and wonderful and powerful he is. As we sing those songs together and the words match the music, it stirs our hearts, it stirs our affection. The Lord has done great things. His love and grace toward us is unimaginable and that is deserving of both our hearts and our minds. Songs, they, 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 songs stir our affections to God when they marry together truth and emotion together. Information alone, that just breeds intellectualism. The word of God is true, it's based in facts. But they're not the kind of facts like if I tell you what the population of a city is or if I tell you what the molecular makeup of water is. That's a fact, but it doesn't stir your affections. 
The truths of God, the truths that we find in his word about who he is and what he has done for us are like facts like hearing that Clemson scored for me. Or that your lover is returning after a long trip. They're facts that stir our affections. It's not just knowledge alone, but it's knowledge that leads to passion. It's not just information that leads to intellectualism. But neither is it just emotion. That just leads to emotionalism. There's a certain kind of music that can make you feel sad and melancholy. I could have uh, Jamin come up and play, hey, play me some sad song in a minor key and we would all feel slightly sadder. There are some songs that make us feel excited and exuberant. But if our services rely upon a musical style or to elicit a response, and something's wrong. People may come in and we may sing loudly and raise your hands. I'd love to see that, but you may sing loudly, you may raise your hands and leave excited, and that's great. But if people have only been moved by empty music, then it's and not the greatness and character and glory of God, then it's something other than Christian worship. I can show you videos of amazing concerts that some amazing artists do around the world, and that is can stir people's emotions and intensity and exuberance. That's not Christian worship. Christian worship is when great music is married with the truth of God and it stirs our emotion and it stirs our, it stirs our minds and that stirs our affections to God when married together. What are, why are we to sing? Because we, we, we sing in response to what God has done and we sing to stir our affections towards him because we need our affections stirred for him. We need to be reminded just as sometimes when I, need, I get with my wife, I need to have my affection, I need to be reminded. I need to have my affections stirred for her. I always love her. There are certain times where my affections just start to bubble up inside. I need that to happen for me and God. But what are we to sing? Look at the nature of this song. The, have you, you can notice something about this song that differs from a lot of songs we might hear on a, a lot of Christian albums because the song celebrates God's work. The song is not about Moses. It's the song of Moses, but it's not about Moses. It's a song sung by Miriam, but it's not about Miriam. It's a song about what God has done for them. It's that that stirs our affections for him. We don't need to sing songs about us and about our hearts and our minds and we need to sing songs that remind us of what God has done for us. What has he done for you? What has he done for you? The question is, what has he not done for you? The God who is the God who created the universe is the God who loves you with a special, never-ending, never-giving-up, self-sacrificing love where he gave his son for you. He has covenanted with himself to keep you. If you're his child, he has covenanted with himself to keep you in his hand and not to lose you. You are secure in him, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. And that's why our song should be about what he has done. The song in, 
in this section is about what God had done for the people of Israel, but it didn't end with them and neither should our songs. Jesus has delivered us. He has freed us. He has defeated our enemies at the cross. If you are not a believer in Christ today, at some point you, even if you are, at some point you were not a believer, it's his substitutionary sacrifice on your behalf that makes you right with God alone. And the cross doesn't magnify us. It doesn't make much of us. It makes much of Christ. Because if Christ loved you and me when we were slime balls, I don't know about you, what you're like, but I am by nature a slime ball. And if he loved me whenever I was a slime ball and gave himself for me, then it doesn't magnify me. The cross doesn't magnify me. It magnifies Christ because he loved me when there was nothing endearing about me whatsoever. This song is, celebrates God's work and it's thoroughly God-centered. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to who? Verse two, to the Lord. And then in verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. The song is thoroughly God-centered. When we sing those kinds of songs that celebrate his work and are centered on God and his nature, it reminds me that my life is to be centered upon him. God, we were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And one of the ways that we do that is in song. As we glorify him and we enjoy him as he comes and puts his presence in our midst. But to become a singing people, we must become a people of the word. Otherwise, our songs become like bows with no arrows. There's a twang, there's a sound, but nothing ever hits our heart. We can write empty, beautiful songs but if they're not really based upon what he has done for us and who he is, then it's not gonna stir our hearts about God. And that's why one of the reasons it's so important that you and I become a people of the word, that we study the word individually and collectively together. Because that, if you are, if you are in the week, studying the word, learning it, memorizing it, reading it daily, questioning it, seeking it, seeking God to speak to you in it, then when we gather together to sing or whenever you're in your car and you're singing alone to God, all that information about who God is is gonna be informing your song. Why are we to sing? We sing in response and we sing to stir our affections. What do we sing? We sing songs that celebrate God's work and are thoroughly God-centered. But then how are we to sing? Here's my proposal to us this morning. This is whenever you're singing alone in your car, again, and I'm passing by watching you, mocking you, or when we sing together, 
as we gather together as a people of God, as a family of God to worship him, we are to sing to pursue God and enjoy God with the people of God. We are to sing to pursue God and to enjoy God with the people of God. First of all, we're to sing to pursue God. That means that we are coming as we are coming to gather and sing together as a community of people. Or again, even while you're alone, we're coming with empty hands. I don't know what you think or I think worship is at times or how you should approach coming to church. I don't know whether you come to serve at church or you come to be served, but really when we gather and we approach God, the way that we approach him is we don't bring our lives to him, we come with empty hands to him. We come understanding that we don't bring anything to the table. We come as a hungry family ready for a meal. That's how we should come to worship together. You know those like family gatherings where, and you just can't wait, like Aunt Martha makes that awesome casserole. That's the only time you have it at you know Easter or Christmas or Mother's Day or whatever time you're getting together. And my grandmother makes this, I call her my nana, she makes this amazing dressing. I don't know whether you're from the north, you might call it stuffing. Um, but it's dressing to go with a turkey. And her turkey's good, but her dressing is just fantastic. And she's given the recipe to my mom, and my mom's tried to copy it, and bless her heart, she just can't do it. There's something about, I don't know if it's grandma's hands or the pan, or I wouldn't put it past my nana to, to leave a couple of things out so it won't be the same when my mom makes it for me. But man, as I'm getting ready for those meals, I can't wait to come. It's usually like, you know, it's like on a Sunday afternoon, and everybody's coming from church, and everybody's getting hungry, and you just can't wait to get there. You're getting a little, like, you know, Hangry, you know what I'm talking about? You're hungry and angry all at the same time. And you're coming together as a family to an anticipated meal. It's a hungry family together. And you're gonna just devour that turkey and that dressing that my, mom, that my nana makes. That's the way we should come, the mindset we should come on a Sunday morning. We need to come with empty stomachs and empty hands, figuratively, to a God who is the one that we should feast upon. He's the one we are made for and we are restless till we find our rest in him. Do you come to serve or to be served or do you come as a member of a hungry family ready for a meal? David said in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I don't know what, there's a lot of things that you and I think that we're thirsting for and hungry for during the week. There's only one thing that satisfies When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? 
all society around us is gonna ask us that. Hey, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. That's what our Sunday should look like. They should look like a throng in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival, a party. We sing to pursue God because I understand I come with empty hands. But we also sing to enjoy God. Verse two of chapter 15. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. It's the wording of enjoyment, of joy in God. Psalm 108, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. It is the nature of God's people to enjoy God and to express it together in song. There's something beautiful about when God's people gather together and we sing about the nature and character of God and God says his pray, he inhabits the praise of his people and I'm not sure exactly theologically how that works but I knew, do know that when a hungry people come with empty hands to lift up the nature and character of God that he comes and visits us in our midst in a special way in a way that can be felt. Because I don't know about you, but during the week, I need an anchor that reminds me this thing is real. When I'm alone at work and I'm discouraged or whatever is going on in my life, I can remember, hey, like, like David in Psalm 42, I remember I remember the, though I'm crying, though their tears have been my food all day and night, I remember gathering with your people and experiencing your presence. I felt you there. I knew you were there. There's something that anchors me and holds me there. I've enjoyed you and I will enjoy you again. And that enjoyment is causing me to long for more enjoyment of you as in the future. And if that is not what we are experiencing, you don't enjoy God. And the question is, what's going on? Is there some sort of disconnect between who God is and what he has done in your heart? Because when a believer sees who God is and what he has done, it stirs our affections for him. If not, then there's something disconnecting it. It could be a pattern of sin. It could be some sort of rebellion. It could be in a particular season of suffering that you're in and you need to reach out and have people help to stir your affections with you. Or maybe you're not a believer. And you've been in church a long time and you believe all the right things here, but you don't enjoy God here because the connection has never been made between what you believe, what you assent to, and your heart. I pray that would be what would happen this morning for you, that you would bow your knee to him, 
that you would confess that need to him, that you would come to him with empty hands and say, you are Lord and I am not. I'm in need of a savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And that you would be reborn this morning and your head and your heart would be connected. But if you are a Christian and there's that disconnect, then maybe the pump needs to be primed. And the way that we prime that pump is in community with each other to let other people. That's why he says in uh, Colossians and in uh, Ephesians that we should address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our heart to the Lord because we need other people to sing to us and with us, to share the word of God with us, to help stir our affections, to prime that pump. We are to sing to pursue God and enjoy God with the people of God. Notice that in this passage. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And then at the end of the passage, verse 21, 20 and 21, then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hands. I come from a charismatic background, so I like, whoo, I like have little chills when I hear about the tambourine. And if you don't come from that background, it won't mean anything to you. But wow, it's, I, I have mixed feelings about this, I'll be honest with you. But she took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them. She sang to them. They sang back and forth about the goodness of God. Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And Colossians, of the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. To God. So how are we to approach Sunday mornings with each other? How can we individually and together gather as a family to a feast who are hungry? How do we be on the lookout for each other and see, hey, you look, you're struggling, and that's okay. Is there some way I can encourage you this morning? Is there some way I can speak the word of God to you in such a way that would help encourage your heart where you're struggling? And would you do that to me? Would, would you come here on Sunday mornings and to community group with me and with other people and be looking at me and seeing, hey, Randy looks discouraged. I need to encourage him this morning from the word. I need to help stir his affections for God. Are we taking advantage of this tool that God has given us to pursue him and to enjoy him together with his people? Are we coming empty-handed? Are we preparing our hearts as we come? Not just on Sunday mornings, but especially on Sunday mornings. That he would meet us here and we would feast deeply upon him. God's people are a singing people because we have a lot to sing about. Sometimes it's joyous and sometimes it's mournful, but we always have a lot to sing about. So as we go forward this morning, as we go forward together as a church, I pray we would go forward with that sort of mindset that we would sing 
because he is great and we are needy. And we would trust and hope and look towards his showing up in such a way that we can enjoy him together with his people. I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna play for just a minute or so. And then we're gonna come up and we're gonna enjoy God together. This Jonathan leads us in communion and then we're gonna sing together. And so wherever you are in your walk this morning, if you're encouraged or discouraged, if you feel empty-handed or you feel awesome, I just wonder if we could just come to the table, first of all, as we partake of communion, that part of what we do as we partake it is to say, I'm coming empty-handed. I needed your sacrifice on my behalf. And as we sing, we would come empty-handed and pray, God, would you meet with us here this morning? Would you meet with me? And would you meet with each other? And would you minister to us? Would you help us to enjoy you? Would you glorify yourself in our midst? Father, I pray you would do exactly that. I pray you would make us into a singing people because we have a lot to sing about. We sing in response and we sing to stir our affections. And I pray that we would do that this morning. We do that as we leave here and scatter across the Grand Strand. I pray we would do that as we gather again each week as a family, hungry for a meal. And then we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.